Welcome to Brains, a podcast exploring the inner workings of our brains and how film and television portray them. Hosted by me, writer-director Heather Taylor. And by me, film and television editor Sarah Taylor. Before we begin, we wanted to acknowledge that the lands from which we recorded this podcast are part of territories that have long served as a gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples. And we are thankful, as guests on this land, to be able to live, work, and gather here. Jen and the system of altars, together known as the Gianu system, join us today to talk about dissociative identity disorder, or DID. This complex disorder, which occurs in 1.5% of our population, is a covert survival mechanism specific to each individual. We discuss what dissociation is, how identities and ego states exist, and how alters can hold different parts of trauma. We also talk about the accurate DID representation in What If It Works, an Australian film by Romy Troer, and discuss how shows like The United States of Terra and the film Split have impacted people's perception of DID. A quick reminder to our listeners that this interview should not be taken as medical advice, and it is for informational purposes only. Because everyone's brain is different, please consult your healthcare professional if you have any questions. And now, Jenna. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us today on Brains. I am so excited to meet you and talk to you in real life. Before we dive into all things DID, I'd love to for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. My name's Jenna. I am 41, wife, mom, uh, writer, and um, I've been diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder. So among the constellation of things that I am, that is one of them. I spend a lot of time trying to educate on social media because while having a prevalence of about the same as OCD, it's so stigmatized and so um, much less known. Uh, I do a lot of work just trying to make people aware of what it is, what it looks like and what it's not. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how I discovered you was via Instagram. And like, I've never really ever seen a person in real life who has DID. I learned so much every video you post. I'm like, this is so fascinating. It's just really great what you're doing. But before I, I gush too much because I'm your fan. <laughs> um, can you just tell us wh- like what exactly is dissociative identity disorder? We'll start with dissociation because that can be a, a hard term and I didn't understand what it was. Dissociation is something that's totally normal. All brains do it. In a neurotypical brain, it's kind of like your brain's low power mode. So like if you're driving home, And all of a sudden you realize you're home, but you don't really remember the drive because your brain was like, eh, I've got better things to worry about and checked out. That's dissociation. Oh, I've definitely done that. Right? Right. All brains dissociate. What happens though is that when there's trauma involved, the brain can take it to a disordered level. Mm. And there's several disorders that have dissociation as a large component of uh, what's problematic about them. Because if your brain checks you out of an activity, then you're not fully present, not fully aware, uh, maybe not laying down uh, good memories of the circumstance. And we'll take that dissociation knowledge now and just kind of put it over here. (laughs) So the identity component. We all talk about like our identity and personality, like it's a well understood thing. And neurologically and psychologically, it's not. (laughs) Um, what makes up a personality. The current theory, structural dissociation, says that children don't have a unified stream of consciousness until a certain age. They exist kind of in ego states. And if you've ever seen a toddler ever, you've seen this because they go from like a total meltdown, like the cookie fell in the dirt, their world is irrevocably ruined. (laughs) And then the next minute they're like bubbles, like that never even happened. Yes. (laughs) Because they don't have this unified stream of consciousness. They have these ego states that they exist in. Mm -hmm. Now, if repeated trauma happens while that child is still growing and has not unified those ego states into a single The brain, in order to protect, not only will keep those separate, but put amnesic, dissociative Mm. barriers between them so that play and learning these ego states can go to school and be unaware that at home, uh, need for security, uh, need for comfort from caregiver is not happening. Those ego Mm. states are not having, like, there's trauma happening, but these ones, 
totally unaware. So in this way, it's wildly protective. The child can grow up and have a relatively normal existence, mm. not, not even aware that stuff is happening. Mm. And if this child grows, the brain continues to grow. These mm. ego states continue to grow with what they're informed by. So a trauma state might stay in that trauma. They might not even know that anything exists outside hmm. of that trauma state. Mm -hmm. Whereas like play and learning can grow along with the body, can socialize. And so when something triggers one of these other states, it can be a very different shift. Because like if you were never informed of the kindness of friends, of what it's like to sit in the sun. If all you were were the worst parts of your life, like Ooh, what yeah. would you be like? How would mm -hmm. you interact? Mm -hmm. And so people with DID have these personality states that have grown with them as they've grown to protect them originally from trauma, but it becomes disordered and maladaptive as the person grows. So what most people think of when they think of DID is the, the wild shifts in personality. They're not realizing that it comes from this background of protection from trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and we can heal. Like we don't, we don't stay in the states that we are when we're like getting out of trauma. So how did you and kind of when did you discover that you had DID? I was always, you know, the quote unquote high functioning, like uh Yes. <laughs> Very smart. And so I was like, I'm just scatterbrained. And uh, I had lots of workarounds, like sticky notes everywhere. Uh, when phones came, you know, about like alarms on my phone, just to keep me regulated and really strict routines. So that way I always kind of knew what was going on. I drove stick shift because sometimes I would space out mm, mm. while driving and that helped me. I didn't know the word grounded, but mm. it helped me stay grounded while I was driving. And uh, so I had all these workarounds to hold my life together. And right. I, I knew I had trauma. I remembered a significant chunk of my, my childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was healing from that. Like I did a bunch of self-directed reading and stuff. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I've he healed. And what I had done was just avoided triggers like a boss. Mm. I <laughs> married an amazing, safe person. I structured my life around safety and avoiding all, all triggers. Um, and that worked for a good while. Um, but then in my mid thirties, it, it caught up with me and mm. I had what I know now is a, a major dissociative episode. I didn't know that's what it was at the time. Um, but it was the first time I was really aware that I had lost mm. time. I couldn't remember what had happened for the several previous days. And I had no emotions. I, mm. I was just very flat. And mm. logically, I was aware that it was distressing, but I didn't feel distressed. I didn't feel anything. And Jonathan, my husband, was like, are you okay? What's going on? And I was like, um, I don't know. I, I think I need therapy. <laughs> and that was the beginning of my discovery journey. Mm -hmm. I remember listening to one of your videos and you mentioned how you started going through therapy and then you're like, I did then recognize there was a voice that wasn't mm -hmm. quote unquote my voice. So yes. how did through, I, was it through therapy that you were opened up, I guess, to know that there's these alternative identities within your m mind? So I, I had a really good therapeutic experience and I know not everybody has, uh, but my therapist, when I came in and I was wildly unregulated, did what a good therapist should. And they spent about a year just working on what they call safety and stability, which was teaching me how to be in my body, how to tolerate my own emotional responses, which I didn't even know I couldn't do that. I, I didn't realize that like I shut off and dissociated like immediately from any kind of um, like hard emotion. And um, toward the, the end of that year, uh, we hit Christmas, which is a high trigger season for me. It's normally when I would have my, my most issues. And so I, I had what I learned is an emotional flashback. It just this wave of emotions that I didn't know why I was feeling. It wasn't anything I was aware of mm -hmm. from the situation. Mm -hmm. And so because I'd had all this therapy, instead of like shutting off, like I normally did, I called my hubs and I was like, Hey, I've been crying all morning and I can't stop. 
Um, and I just wanted to let you know, you know, I'm going to try and stay with the experience. So he came home and just was a, a grounding presence, which what all this does in psychobabble is you can't really process through trauma if you are outside of your window of tolerance. Your brain mm-hmm. can't do it. So mm-hmm. him just being a safe presence and me learning how to stay in my body kept me enough in this window to process some of the trauma that I was experiencing to hold myself in that space. And after that experience, I had just this cache of memories drop. And it wasn't, you would think that repressed memories would be like, you know, I I don't know. I thought it would be more dramatic. It just felt like I had forgotten to remember, but it was me as a kid, Mm, but stuff that I hadn't remembered, like me playing by myself in my room. And I had had no compass for who I was as a child. I would look at pictures and go, I know that's me, but I don't Mm. recognize me. I don't know what I was like, who that girl is. And all of a sudden there were all these memories and it was like, oh, that's, that's this little girl me. And I felt at the end of it, this teenage presence. And it was really strange. And I told my husband, I was like, there's like, I feel this female teenage presence and that's weird. But if therapy taught me anything, it's, you know, you just lean into, (laughs) but then a little bit later, the, the presence got a little stronger and started yelling at me which I did not tell for several days because like there's a voice in my head yelling at me and I was like, oh, I think this means I'm crazy now. Yeah, yeah. That's clearly what this means. Mm. Um, But finally I was like, hey, (laughs) so there's this angry teenage girl in my head yelling at me. And Jonathan, who had been very much a part of my therapy process, was like, well, did you ask her why she's mad? I was like, Mm. no, (laughs) I'm not trying to to encourage the voice in my head. But he was right. And that's what I needed to do. And that was my first connection with an altar. And going into therapy, saying the same thing, like I am hearing an angry teenage girl in my head. Um, And the therapist was like, is this an audible voice or an internal voice? And I was like, oh, it's internal, but it's not like she's saying stuff I've never even thought of. Like it's, Mm. it's very like not my own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was the beginning. And she, the therapist was real good to like not be reactive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She was like, I think this is part of your healing journey. Therapeutically, I I don't think she'd ever come across the idea in practice before she was very open about doing research about it after that. Uh, But it was just, it's a lot. It's a complex disorder. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. With the knowledge of the altars, and as I'm assuming more altars came to be more mm-hmm. present, you know, how do you work in your day-to-day life? You'd created all these structures and boxes for yourself to like exist in. So then how did that shift once you started to have more recognition of the entire system that is you? At first it was really disruptive. These people had been um, suppressed, had been locked away, and they had a lot of opinions about our shared life. Mm. And I had to realize that this was a shared life. This wasn't like my show here. Mm. Um, I I try and tell people it's like a a puzzle with a bunch of pieces. Maybe one, maybe you've completed a a section of pieces and it's bigger than the rest, but it's still just a piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not the whole puzzle. People are like, oh, so you're, you're the original. I'm like, no, no. Like we're all aspects I was just the one who was running the day-to-day at the time when we became aware. It's been good in a lot of ways because like, I had no access to anger. I had not felt the emotion of anger. It was locked away because anger was unsafe. And so anger is a self-protective mechanism. You get mad when something threatens you or the space around you. Mm -hmm. And not to have access to that is actually dangerous. You need to be able to protect yourself to say, Hey, no, like that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, So meeting E meeting J a having alters who will come out and be like, no, you Mm -hmm. don't treat us that way. Mm -hmm. uh, Has been amazingly helpful. Has it been a, like a ride having to process so much trauma, having to learn what is safe and unsafe at, as an adult, like learning how to navigate emotions as an adult, like 
most people learn this at two and three when it's safe to have fits and roll on the floor and cry. But when you're like in your thirties experiencing anger going, what do you do with this just huge emotion? Like it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I can. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about the relationship within your system is like, I know you said accessing anger, but kind of how do you look at yourself in terms of the relationships between everyone within the system? Yeah. So there's about 10 of us and every person with DID is very individual. The brain does this as a child and it creates these alters accordingly, like shapes them according to what the child needs at the time. Mm, Uh, So it varies based on trauma, based on individual, what that person thinks is safe, what that person Mm -hmm. has experienced is dangerous. Uh, So for us, anger was dangerous and any anger we felt was very much so kept uh, within altars. Uh, We have E, who is our gatekeeper. Not all systems have one. She um, is able to kind of keep parts from fronting when it's not okay, Mm. when it wouldn't Mm. be a good time for them to front. Uh, and also kind of keeps information, like not safe information. If this information would overwhelm, like, oh, you know, you don't get that. You are not oh, ready for that information. Wow. Interesting. It's very helpful. I'm very <laughs> grateful for her. Um, <laughs> but she also has access to that anger. Uh, she she was the, the teenage girl. Uh, mm. She has since aged up as she's processed uh, some of the trauma that she's hold, held. Um, not all the alters age. Aging is weird. Like it's mm. not a linear thing necessarily. So I have Lil who uh, um, appeared as a little. So she, I think the first time she showed up was about six and then she aged to eight and we call it age sliding. She will slide up and down. Uh, typically right now she'll front around 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fronting means like take control of the body, be the one making the decisions using our voice, just in control. Mm -hmm. And so she was the part that was protected. She had no awareness of trauma, was absolutely secure of being loved. Mm. And uh, so E held anger, uh, was very protective of Lil. I have J.A. and Caleb who, J.A., Caleb, and Debbie actually all hold three different aspects of one single trauma, the auditory, the physical and the, um, visual. Mm. Uh, so that, that event is like segmented between each of them, which means like, I didn't understand because Hollywood gives us flashbacks of PTSD where the person's absorbed into the the memory yeah. and that yeah. can happen. 100% that can happen. Uh, but flashbacks can be just auditory. They can mm. be just visual. They can be physical sensations or emotional sensations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so uh, processing trauma when it's segmented can be disorienting. Like what's happening? Why am I hearing this? Why, why do I feel this way? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and not knowing what it's attached to Mm -hmm. because not everybody fronts a lot. So not Mm -hmm. everyone is always active. It depends on kind of what they hold and what they do. Uh, We have Anthony who usually likes to, exist fused. So that's combined with uh, another altar, but sometimes he is separate again. Uh, and he holds like uh, attraction and uh, sexuality because those weren't safe things to feel or to experience mm. and especially not as a female. So mm. our brain said, oh, we will package that in male form because <laughs> females are you know, vulnerable and this is not safe, but it'd be fine if that was felt by a male. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really... Where, where it's complex, it's also kind of fascinating the way the brain does this to survive. You recommended the film, What If It Works? Yes. And it's a film that's from Australia about a couple. Uh, the male partner has OCD and the female has DID. I just want to hear from you. Why did you feel like that was a, a film that represented DID in, a, in the, the way that we, we never see, really? <laughs> I've never seen it explained or like shown on camera like this. Yes. I, I I loved it so much. Um, so what if it works? And, and just for the audience out there, totally, it's great, but also it's adult content mm-hmm. and there's, you know, referencing trauma. So just, you know, be aware of that. Um, I loved the way, one, that it wasn't sensationalized. So when she switches, mm-hmm. uh, there's just this, like a, a breath 
and then someone else is in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, switching between uh, altars can be difficult. Sometimes it can be drawn out, but a lot of times there's a trigger and it's instant. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I loved in the movie, she'll just up and then somebody else is out. And the very abrupt uh, body language, very abrupt uh, yeah. vocal changes. The actress did an amazing so job of it. I, I also really appreciated how the people in her life would call her by the name of who's out. So like the the artist uh, alter was G. And so they'd be like, oh, that's that's G's work. And um, mm. she would say, oh, I, I don't really know what, you know, G, I don't have great memory, so I'm not sure what she's working on. And the people in my life who know me and know my alters, if they know who's out, they'll talk to them mm. by name. And it's not like this big, oh, so-and-so is out now. It's just a very, mm. oh, hey, G, you know, you know, want to come over and give your opinion on this. If E is out, Jonathan will be like, oh, I have a fashion question. Does this shirt go with these pants? Like, um, I love it. So I loved how the people around her knew what to expect. It wasn't like, oh, no. But also the way she talked about her alters, the way they interacted with themselves. For me, it was very true to my experience. And even when she she says, you know, like inside us, there's a house and there's many rooms. Yeah. And like uh, the inner world is not something you see talked about or represented yes. a lot in uh, media. And so we have a house with rooms for each of us. And so I was like, yes, yes, this is what it's like for me. Yeah. When I, when she, that line came up, I like made note of that because that was such a great way of understanding what it is. And like, even with uh, there's like a clock at the f- top of the house, she, she said. Mm-hmm. And like certain times, certain rooms will open up and the person comes out. It made it make so much sense. And it was just brilliant the way they did that. It was so great. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a question kind of re- relates a lot of it with her and her therapist. There is around integration and how integration is that way to heal. But not everyone feels that way. So how do you feel in terms of like, working within the system that you have and the alters you have, but also this idea of like, what is healing? Mm, Yeah. So the current definitions that I hear going around, um, because it didn't, they used to go by different terms. Mm -hmm. Um, So currently when a therapist is talking about integration, it will refer to the integration of information and trauma knowledge and the lowering of barriers between alters. But what it used to mean was fusing alters together. Oh, um, that's what I assumed. That's what I meant. Okay, that's mm-hmm. good to know. Okay. Yes, and it, probably what it was referring to in the movie, but there's two schools of thought on what, uh, two approaches rather in healing with DID. And one is called functional multiplicity and the other is final fusion. Final fusion being the fusing of all parts together mm. and functional multiplicity being the healthy uh, day-to-day life, including all the parts with integration of memories and understanding. So there's very little amnesia, everybody working together, uh, cooperating. So um, there's research to suggest that not everyone can fuse, like they attempt to, you know, set out that as their therapeutic goal and their system never fuses. And that some people who do not want fusion, it happens spontaneously. So for us, we chose not to worry about that. We were like, we will just pursue health, whatever health looks like. If we end up fusing and that's what health looks like for us, fantastic. If we don't and functional multiplicity is it, also fantastic. Uh, Honestly, the hubs is like, I would miss them if Mm -hmm. if y'all fused. And we're like, we know, but we can't also like – for you, just remain like we're, we're committed to our health, no matter what it looks like. But yeah. his his complete acceptance has been very helpful mm. and a, a safety. Like I, my therapist has frequently been like, you've been healing and progressing quickly. And I think a lot of it is because I have a, a stable home life and a very safe person who is mm. just accepting yes. wherever I'm at, whoever is out, wherever they're at. And because there's acceptance like dissociation is pushing away from yourself, from your trauma, from what is happening. And like having that acceptance is just part of the environment is so helpful in healing. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. I think that comes with anybody going through a therapy healing journey. For myself, I started to really heal some of the things I was dealing with when I yeah found my husband and my home was safe. 
And then I yeah. could yes. process all the stuff that maybe wasn't so safe. It's interesting because like I hadn't heard of this film and, and I thought, what, how brilliant is this? Because the representations I've seen of DID are United States of Terra, which was a lot about a woman and her family, and then Split, which is very controversial. Mm-hmm very, I, th- I think can be as seen by the community. And I don't feel like this is very realistic. Um, and statistically it isn't because I have the stats. I always have stats, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd love to, before I reveal stats, I'd love to hear like, if you have any thoughts of what that misrepresentation, the impact of that kind of misrepresentation. Mm-hmm. I try and keep up on the DID media because I always have people asking, have you seen this show? <laughs> what are your thoughts on mm-hmm. it? And so we, we try and keep up. The United States of Terra did so many things right. And I was I was very excited um, as they were rounding toward the final season. I thought, oh, we can really see the way they've set things up. We can really see healing and the coming mm. together mm. Um, because she um, at first was very resistant of altars, which is like not uncommon. Like, so there was there was truth in that, like, oh no, these people are ruining my life. And and then we see uh, they they write like a kind of a system rule book, which honestly, we have rules in my system. Like that's also helpful and mm. good. They didn't necessarily stick to those. Uh, but then <laughs> we get to the final season and the, the part that broke my heart uh, was the psychiatrist tells her husband, she will never get better. Mm-hmm. It, it will always be like this. And I thought you had so much opportunity to show just as, as disruptive as it can be and then show that it can get better, that we heal. Yeah. Like you don't stay in this disruptive state. Mm. And they did that about face. And I was like, no, like, no, there is healing. There is coming together. There is cooperation. Yeah. Mm. Can it be where you're at odds? Absolutely. And I, I've seen very frequently that the more people try and suppress their altars and not listen to them, the more those altars will escalate to be heard, to, to be seen, to have their needs met. Yeah. Uh, so yes, that, that sort of thing can happen, but that's when you realize you have to like come together. Mm -hmm. You have to listen to each other. You don't have Mm -hmm. to agree, but you at least have to listen and know why, like why JA is so against men. Like when I understood that, did I agree with her that all men were? No. (laughs) But when I knew where she was coming from, then we could walk together. Yeah. Right. Oh, Oh, I love that. That's really great. (laughs) One of the big things that I got a lot of questions, uh, one of the misrepresentations from the United States of Terra is she says that uh, she's off her meds and that's why she's hearing the altars. Um, medicine helps with schizophrenia because it's hallucination. Mm-hmm. But with altars, it's not a hallucination. It is another part of you. It's your own brain originating these thoughts. Um, so medicine can like quiet alters voices if it's going to really, really um, just depress everything. Uh, I've had another friend who has DID say, uh, when I was on this medicine, I couldn't hear my altars. It wasn't that they weren't there, but it it so suppressed mm. all of my my emotions and thinking that I, I couldn't hear them. Um, but it doesn't make them go away. Uh, yeah. So people are like, "Why don't you just take medicine?" And I was like, "That's not how that works. Mm. Like, why don't you take medicine to you know make a part of you disappear? Mm. It's not how that works." Yeah. Yes. Oh, I never thought about yeah. it that way. Oh, I have ADHD and um, I take medication. It's very helpful, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't change the way my brain is. I was born this way. My Mm -hmm. brain will always be this way. It's going to just help in terms of like, yeah, it makes the loud less loud, but doesn't mean it's still not there. Right have generalized anxiety disorder. So I take anti-anxiety medicine and I, but I still experience anxiety. It's just at a different level. Right. But then we, we look at some uh, representation in a film like split and this is the the stats that I have here. It's like may represent over 1% of Americans rarely violent, more likely to hurt themselves than others. And, you know, movies are tending to portray the most extreme aspects of disorder, but then misrepresents 
you know, something that public don't know a lot about, mm-hmm. which this is why we do this podcast. Yeah. It's exactly why we do this podcast. Yes. But I think the stat, she said there, there's a new study, this new as in uh, 2017. So, I mean, not new now, <laughs> but new at the time. The International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation did research with people with DID, and they found that only 3% were charged with an offense, 1.8% were fined, and less than 1% were jailed over a six-month span. And this is the quote from activists. It said, split represents yet another gross parody of us based on fear, ignorance, and sense Socialization only much worse. Mm-hmm. So it's just that idea that it's really demonizing people who really need to get the help that they need and then feel even more fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. Uh, I would say that that movie has done the most in terms of stigma of any media representation. Um, when people hear, oh, you have DID, one of the first things is, oh, so who's the 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 altar that's the scary murdery one? But with DID, where I was saying there's the, the segmentation of parts. Mm-hmm. If you were in parts, would any part of you be a murdery part? Like Yeah, 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 exactly. So people with antisocial tendencies can also have DID. And then sure, perhaps all their antisocial tendencies are in, but that's a different disorder. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. not the segmentation of identity. That's not the problem there. And people with DID, because trauma causes maladaptive coping mechanisms, can have maladaptive coping coping mechanisms, 100%. Mm -hmm. Uh, But very often they're turned on the self as as just a way to try and and cope. Mm -hmm. Um, So Split has been just really, really damaging with stigma. I, I tried to do a, one of my, my TikToks was like, okay, do a thought experiment with me. If you knew 100% that you would not remember doing it, now it doesn't absolve you from consequences, like on your psyche or in real life, but if you knew you wouldn't remember it, what would you do? Because in our experience, what happens is we buy snacks. <laughs> I, I will come and go, oh my gosh, who bought us all these snacks? And it was Lil. Lil bought yeah, a bunch yeah. of snacks because, right? Right? Because yeah. you're not going to go out and just commit crimes no. just no. because you don't remember what you do- did doesn't change that you're inclined to do something yeah. or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good example because I was like, I can't think of anything that I wouldn't do if I could remember. Like, bad and bad, quote unquote bad. Exactly. But yeah, getting snacks, that's totally what I would do. Oh, right? That's amazing. Yeah, I don't think anything else really. I mean, yeah. I don't think I have murder in my mind, so <laughs> I think snacks. Exactly, snacks. exactly snacks. And and what a delightful surprise too to be hungry and open the cabinet and go, oh look, Thanks. and then Thank little in the background like, uh huh, I did uh-huh. it. Thank me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Are there any other stigmas that come up for you, like common ones? Other than is there a murderer? <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Right. Well, that's, that's the most common oh, one my goodness. that people are automatically then on guard, like mm. that I, I could be criminal. Ah. Like, no, I'm just traumatized. And and the stats show that yeah. people with DID are more likely to be the victim uh, of crime yeah. uh, because we've been through trauma. Uh, people who are predatory tend to have a good vibe for people who've been traumatized. Mm-hmm. And because mm. our brain, that's familiar to our brain, we tend to end up in the situations that are re-traumatizing. Right. right. So- Rather than being violent, we're more likely to, to have violence recommitted upon us. But another one of the, the big things that I see is people going, oh, one, that, that's a fake disorder. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that, that multiple therapists have diagnosed oh me goodness. with? Yeah. Really? Okay. Um, and then the, like on that, people go, oh, you know, that's the thing that the, the teens are doing for attention on TikTok. And I'm like, okay. Wow. Just because people are being open about mm-hmm. their mental illness, just because they're able to make, you know, entertaining or comedic videos about their mental illness doesn't negate it. And just because some people will fake an illness doesn't mean that it's it's not real and happening. Mm-hmm. Like people fake cancer too, and yeah. cancer is very yeah, real yeah. and happening. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I feel like that exact stigma is the same thing, the mm-hmm. ADHD mm-hmm. and other disorders or auti- mm-hmm. like you don't look autistic, you don't look this way, that's not real. Yeah. That's yes. just a thing that kids have because there's so much misrepresentation. People are like, well, I can say that I don't think it's real because I hadn't really thought of experienced it. it before. Yeah, I've never heard of it before. Or thought about it. <laughs> right. 
they have this predisposed idea of what it looks like. Like you said, with autism, I, I have a friend who is just lousy with autism. Like, whew, they, they have a, they're very symptomatic. And they had a doctor tell them, oh, you don't look autistic. And they were like, oh, okay, so do I need to come in stimming? And like, like, is that what autistic looks like to you? Because, and that's part of the reason I, I work hard to educate yes. online is because people have an idea of what it looks like usually from media representation that is not helpful. And that's not how it looks. Yeah. So what made you decide to, to go on that journey of having the social media channel and sharing so much information? Because I'm sure you're not getting all positive comments. I'm sure there's probably moments where it's <laughs> no. not great, right? <laughs> right. People are like, oh, you want attention. I was like, oh, sweetie, I can put on a swimsuit to get attention. <laughs> I, I, and it would not be putting my family at risk oh, of stigma no. yeah. and myself at public ridicule. Like a swimsuit's a better venue for attention. Mm. Um, <laughs> but when we were very early in the process, um, one of the alters, Jen, uh, was having trouble speaking. Uh, verbalizing anything at all. So we set up the camera and we're like, okay, since you're having trouble talking to people, maybe try talking to the camera. Mm. Uh, and that worked. So Jen would then make videos and like I would watch the videos and it helped me to understand where she was coming from, what she was thinking. And I, I recommend that to other people with DID. External communication does help start to bridge internal oh, that's communication. That's really cool. What a good idea. So we had these videos uh, and then other alters would then make videos. So we'd have videos back and forth on our phone, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And after about a year, as we started to cooperate, as things started to like be less constantly difficult, like, oh, it gets better. And mm. Jen was like, you know, maybe it would be helpful for people to see the beginning to now yeah. to know that it gets better. Mm. And I was like, no, and that is, <laughs> no. Um, but Jen was like the most private of the altars, was very protection minded. And she kept saying, I think this would help people mm -hmm. to see that, that it can, it can get better, that we can come together. And so after about two years and we were still making videos, we started to put them on YouTube like a vlog, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. just all the videos we had made and then the ones that we continued to make. Um, and then uh, when TikTok came around, uh, I was, I think I was on Reddit and someone was like, hey, um, I hear people with DID are hanging out on TikTok. And I went, ooh, I want to hang mm -hmm. out. Like <laughs> I, I want other system people, friends. And I didn't even know really like what was going on on TikTok. I didn't know how it worked at all. Uh, so I got on there and I started following some people with DID and I was like, okay, okay, I'll make a video. So I, I made a couple videos and I was totally just playing, like letting the alters make videos because it felt like, oh, sure, it doesn't matter. Go ahead. And then a video went viral. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh. Uh, but that was the start of us um, gaining more of a platform and really trying to educate because the algorithm brought in people who had never encountered it. They were mm. asking great questions. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. How has it helped with your healing journey? On, on several different fronts. One of the fronts that's been helpful is um, we still mask some. Mm. Um, we, we live in a town that's conservative, that's um, religious and there's a lot of stigma around DID being demon possession. Mm, so. Um, and even though we're like, Hey, you know, we believe in Jesus and they're like, it's still a demon. And I was like, but that's not how that works. <laughs> anyway. So like just not safe to be open so that they could be themselves openly online, have people recognize them was so affirming. Um, to not have to mask, to mm. have an environment that they could just be themselves was was fantastic. It was fun. It was um, like taking a deep breath when you, you've been like shoved in and holding your breath for yeah. so long. Mm -hmm. um, but then the trolls in the comments have absolutely taught us we're more resilient than we thought. Uh, oh. That we can extend kindness in situations where we thought we would be hurt or saddened or made afraid. Um, and that sometimes, not always, but sometimes what people need is some kindness and some more information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And so uh, it's been largely positive, not always. Uh, there's definitely instances where it's like, okay, I need to step back and take a break for mental health. Mm. But overall, it's been a positive experience. Having this experience and having questions from people, um, mm -hmm. what would you like to see represented more on film and television that can maybe help address some of these things mm -hmm. that you were addressing yourself? I would love to see DID normalized in a character uh, where it is just part of who they are, like OCD being just part of who they are, anxiety mm. being just part of who they are. There uh, have been a couple TV shows where there's an episode or two where you see something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the Golden Girls actually has an episode where uh, like the, the handyman has DID and I was so pleased. I was like, Golden Girls can get it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I didn't realize. I got to find that. Awesome. <laughs> right? Right? It's in there. Um, but I I would love to see more of that, where mm -hmm. the the problem isn't that there's alters. There's pro The problem is that the, the PTSD, the trauma, mm -hmm. the flashbacks, the dissociation is disrupting life. And those things can be addressed. Mm, those things yeah. can be healed. And that that would be like the chef's kiss. Yeah, I love it. Oh, that's a really great way of putting it. It's the trauma, it's the dissociation, and that stuff can be fixed. Mm -hmm. It has, oh, I like, that's brilliant. What would you recommend for resources for people who are listening that want to learn more, curious about how this all works? So if you're wanting to learn more from perhaps a, a trauma perspective, my favorite book to recommend uh, is Healing the Fragmented Selves of Trauma Survivors by Janina Fisher. It's phenomenal. It covers like uh, PTSD on up through like very uh, polyfragmented DID mm. and all the things in between. So if someone has experienced trauma and the dissociation that that causes within self, that book is wonderful and is, mm. is so well resourced. Um, I could not recommend that one enough. Um I'm trying to think. I I try and read a lot of books, and there's ones like, mm, nope, don't recommend that one. <laughs> a lot of people read and recommend When Rabbit Howls, which is a uh, first-person like autobiographical uh, book from someone uh, with DID. And it's actually, I have it now. I have bought the book. I just haven't read it yet. <laughs> what if it works as far as representation in media, film media, is my all-time favorite. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like people to walk away with when they're thinking about DID? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a couple things to put in people's mind. It is one, they it's rare medically, but that's not the same thing as what we think of rare. Mm. So it's around 1%, depending on the prevalence measure, the, the study that was used, uh, one to 1.5% um, of a given population, which is about the same as natural redheads. Hmm. So yeah. when you're like, I've never encountered that, you have. It's a covert survival mechanism. You're not, we're not going to be out there presenting, you know, vulnerable, yeah. vulnerable parts of self to you. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. but you have 100% encountered somebody with DID. It's not scary and dangerous. It's a neurodivergence brought about by trauma to help a child survive. And if people would just understand that this is not just super duper rare, like if you've met a, a natural redhead, you have met somebody with DID. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a that's really great. great. That's really great. It's good contextually. Yeah. Like it's hard to contextualize 1% mm -hmm. as a number anyway. Yeah. So now I can, yep. now I have that. That's a, that's a great, <laughs> great way of putting it. Where can people find you? Read the books that you write. You're an author. You can tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm an author and you can really see uh, our, our, our distinct styles in our books. So we have a dark and gritty vampire thriller. Um, I love it. And then we have a really light and sweet uh, book about a, a rescue cat <gasps> whose family gets a puppy. <laughs> um, and it is just adorable and heartwarming. And so like my writing runs the spectrum just like the altars do. Oh, it's great. <laughs> um, Sarah's going to go for the puppy um, one and I'm going to go for vampires. So we're, we're covered. So I have a rescue cat and many rescue dogs. <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's amazing. You'll love it. We we really tried to put in um, animal body language so that we could like educate <gasps> yes. young people, but do it indirectly. So when Kit the cat is mad, he does certain things with his tail and with his ears, and 
just to like help kids understand animal body language without having a lesson. Oh, that's on it. brilliant. Mm. Okay. Um, on the list. Yes. So I'm sure you'll link it in, in the bio, but uh, my writing website is jecraft, with a K, like the cheese, K-R-A-F-T, uh, .com. And you can get my books there. You can find me on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter, if it hasn't burned to the ground by the time this airs, uh, as uh, uh, YouTube on uh, Gianu System, which is G-I-A-N-U, and then System. Um, and if you're curious about the name, we have a video about why we have that name on our YouTube. It's a fun story. Awesome. Well, amazing. thank you so much for everything that you're doing <laughs> with your social media platforms for taking the time to sit with us and, and share your story. And oh, it was, it was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and for like just doing this in general, because uh, there is so much misrepresentation out there. We don't even realize mm -hmm. that we're, we're getting wrong ideas. So I love what y'all are doing. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really grateful that Jenna responded to my like cold call DM on her Instagram <laughs> to see if she'd be interested in coming on to the, the show. And I think I've followed her for over a year now. And I just, like I mentioned many times, I've learned so much from her. Like we mentioned every episode, we learned so much, but I really didn't know much about DID. And I realized how much, how very little I knew until I started following her. And it's like, yeah, it was great. Our mom was in a psychology class, and I remember just being so fascinated with kind of all the different disorders and things that she was studying, and one of them was multiple personality disorder, because that's what it was called at the time. And language is always changing, how things are defined are changing. The DSM is not a, you know, in a solid state, it continues to change. And I feel like it was just so fascinating. I realized I'd only heard of this and thought of this in a very abstract way. Mm -hmm. And to have a conversation with someone and really understand what it means um, in a very, I think, tangible and practical way. Totally. To me, it just made sense as, of course, this is something like this idea of like, this is the brain is so incredible that it can protect us in such a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she really broke it down and made it very understandable. So yeah, thanks, Jenna. Okay, what do you got? What do you got? Anything awesome happening? So, um, th this factual? is <laughs> this is something factual. To me, factual it can be awesome. But the WGC, which is the Writers Guild of Canada, recently came out with a study that was their essentially their 2022 Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Report, and it's with data updated to December 31st, 2021. Ah, and as they, as you dig into their information, um, it was fairly depressing to see that only in live action rooms in Canada, there was 1.7% of the room were disabled writers, 1% in animation. And in fact, only 0.6% of writers in the WGC are classified as disabled. Wow. Now I put that out on Twitter because I was obviously like, do better. <laughs> That's all I said. I'm, the statistics at the moment are one in five Canadians have disabilities. Um, one in four Americans have disabilities. Someone said, is it because of disclosure and fear of disclosure? I'm like, that could be it. They've just changed the definitions on the WGC site that you can, when you self-declare, there's more options because there used to not be an option for anyone who was neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, I don't have an intellectual disability. So I wrote, wrote to them and said, you don't have my classification of disability on your your site. So there could be some things where people are feeling more open about it or people are adding that information, which would be amazing. But I think more so there is a, a thing that's happening for any kind of marginalized community is that the opportunity to even get in the door is so difficult. Yeah. So unless you're doing active recruitment and they start to do that with certain communities, but it's still like lagging in some communities. And so I think there needs to be continued effort and the continued effort that, you know, we have people continuing to advocate for that it's not, you know, it's like we need to have more voice in the room to craft more potential stories, not just maybe the stories that you're currently thinking about. So by having people of differing abilities in the room or differing experiences in the room, that you will get kind of different future stories and it may be unexpected stories. So I'm really hopeful that by seeing these numbers and talking about these things, that we can start to, you know, hopefully create more access, create more inclusive spaces like we talked about last episode. And so I'm really hoping that these numbers are not a reflection of what is to come, 
but rather a place to start from. Yeah. Here, here. That wasn't so awesome, but needed to be discussed. Totally. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It made me think about some of the associations that I'm involved with. And I think I need to go and check what checkbox are in their things and start sending emails as well. Yes. Check your inboxes, organizations. Make some changes. <laughs> We're coming for you. We're coming for you. Coming for you. Um, well, I have something awesome that's actually awesome. And I feel like everything is pertaining to work right now because everything is just like f- arriving at the same time. But I'm excited to announce that one of the feature docs I cut last year called The Lebanese Burger Mafia is having its world premiere at Hot Docs in May in Toronto. Yay! So if anybody's in the Toronto area and would like to come and watch a film about the meaty saga of a rogue fast food train with mysterious origins, a cult following, and a secret pathway to the immigrant dream, maybe come prepared to feel hungry when before you leave because there's lots of tasty footage there. But uh, yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm, I think my sister's going to be there. I'm going to be there. And our siblings are going to be there. <laughs> you come see Sarah's documentary, Meet the Brains Behind Brains. Go support Canadian cinema for those of you in Canada. Mm-hmm. So um, anyone who's listening to this on the day that it's come out, if you're interested on Wednesday, April the 12th at 8 p.m. Um, Eastern Standard Time or 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and every time in between, <laughs> um, Sarah and I are going to be featured um, in a talk with Harvard Wood um, around ethics and storytelling, mental health and disability representation in film and TV. If you are wanting to come and hear us talk and ask questions, I think, in a live setting, um, please come and join us. The website is um, harvardwood.org backslash ethics underscore in underscore storytelling. And there you can register for the event. And so um, please do join us. Uh, We're really excited to be talking about this subject that is so dear to us and is also the subject of our podcast. (laughs) something we love to talk about. So join us, ask us questions. So I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode of Brains. Brains is hosted and produced by Heather and Sarah Taylor and is mixed and mastered by Tony Bao. Our theme song is by our little brother Depish and our graphics were created by Perpetual Notion. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us and tell your friends to tune in. You can reach us on Instagram or Twitter at Brains Podcast, spelled B-R-Triple-A-I-N-S Podcast. You can also go to our website at brainspodcast.com where you can contact us, subscribe, and find out a little bit more about who we are and what we do. Until next time, I'm your host, Sarah. And I'm your host, Heather. Bye! Bye.